Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased that you've been able to join us for the program. The cross has changed the spiritual dimension. Jesus has defeated the enemy. If you mentioned to someone that you had had a vision, you'd either be assessed for potential mental instability or you'd be hailed as a great thinker. The Old Testament prophet Daniel had a doozy vision and he was well and truly shaken by it. Not just a flight of fancy or a momentary lapse of reason, Daniel's vision was from God. Tonight, settle in as Dr. Corbett explores Daniel's reverie. So now we have Daniel, 85 years of age, retired from active service about a year ago. In fact, it was, it was just after Darius brought him out of the lion's den that Darius said, you know what, 84 years of age, you've had a pretty good innings. Why don't you just kick back on a state pension, keep your house where, you know, just see out your days and do whatever you want and that's what he's doing now so what would you do if you had all your needs met everything you could ever want food clothing housing income you can come and go as you want go anywhere you want what would you do and i like what i see in daniel's heart because here we have a man who now has he's not in adversity and he is in comfort and what comes out of his heart is a heart to seek after God. Here's Daniel, 84 years of age, and he's now going to take time out to reflect. And that word reflect is, is this word that I'm going to use. It's called reverie. To, to, to have a reverie is to, just to take time out and just reflect, just think, and just ponder, where am I going with this? What's happening? And this is what he's doing now. This is Daniel's reverie. We're going to see that even though he's an old man, his body's aged, his spirit is sharp. Verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So we're about to experience Daniel having another vision. It's a year after his last one. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Note how many days that is. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks, which means he didn't take a bath for three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river. That is the Tigris. Hmm. And what's he doing there? We're introduced to Daniel in Babylon. And there he is, a young man who clearly loves God. And here we are now, an old man who clearly loves God. And he's gone to the river Tigris. What's he going to do there? He tells us he's going to seek God. I don't know if you ever pondered that expression. It says in Hosea 10, plough up the fallow ground and seek him. Plough up the fallow ground. It's a picture of what a farmer does with a field that's just been left and nothing's happened to it. It's a picture of our heart. 
when you do nothing to it, it becomes fallow. Weeds grow in it. Things grow in it. Things get in there that shouldn't be there. Plow it up, which means clear it out of the way and get your heart broken before him. Seek the Lord. Interesting expression. Seek the Lord. And this is what Daniel was doing. And this is what Daniel discovered. And like many since Daniel have also discovered that when you seek God with all your heart, we find this in Proverbs chapter 3, Psalm 37 and so on, you will have an encounter with, and I'm using my words very carefully, Jesus. Whenever you seek God, you, with all your heart, you will encounter Jesus. You will. And what we're about to see is Daniel encountering Jesus, the Jesus that existed before the very first Christmas day. The Jesus that had to take something off to become a baby born in Bethlehem. The Jesus that was clothed with something that caused, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to use these old words because we don't use them. And if we do use them, we don't use them the right way. So let me use it, then I'll apologize. But Jesus was somebody who, ins- who caused people to be dreadful. Now, I want you to think about what I've just said, because we say, oh, that's dreadful, Muriel, or whatever we say. And we mean that's really bad, but that's not what dread is. Whoa, oh no, uh uh-oh, dreadful. Jesus caused people, whenever they encountered him, to be dreadful or filled with dread. I want you to see that Jesus took all of that off to become a baby born in Bethlehem. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he says a a prayer like this. And if you don't get who Jesus is and if you don't get what he had to do to become a baby born in Bethlehem, it's really not going to make any sense. But he says this, Father, give it back to me. I'm coming to you. Can I have it back? See, Jesus was, was clothed with something. It was a part of him. And Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself and he emptied himself to become a man. He didn't empty himself of becoming God. He emptied himself of something. So the Jesus that existed before the very first Christmas day was clothed in so much glory that it terrified. That's another word for dreadful It terrified those who saw him, all who saw him. Verse 5, I lifted up my eyes. So Daniel's seeking God. Oh God, I seek you. I'm looking for you. He's been fasting for 21 days. We're three days after that fast. So we're on day 24. And I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man. Clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and beryl is a bright yellowy gold gem. His body was glistening like gold, like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. 
This is describing Jesus. And you go, well, how do you know this is Jesus, Pastor? Because in Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos sees exactly the same thing. And he says, that's Jesus. There's a clue. This is Jesus. Do you see, this is him in his glory, in his magnificent glory. His face shone like translucent gold. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like gleam of burnished bronze. All of these things have symbolic reference. The beryl was the stone the priest had to put near his heart on the breastplate. A lightning speaks of judgment and majesty and eyes like flaming torches, arms, burnished bronze. Bronze was that which went, the bronze altar was made of bronze because it could withstand incredible heat. So bronze is a picture of that which has passed through judgment and come out the other side intact. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been judged for us. That's why his feet are like burnished bronze, it says here in this text and in Revelation chapter 1. And when he spoke, it was like the sound of a multitude. Can you see why that would cause you to be full of dread? Can you see why if that person, you encountered that person, you, the rest of your day would be different? If you encountered Jesus. Now I have a hunch that that in just Three little, tiny, little, tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny little moments. The Father just gave people around Jesus as he was interacting with people. He gave them just a glimpse of who his son really was. One was in the boat when Peter looks up and, depart from me. I think that was one of them. I think the Mount of Transfiguration might have been another one. And people got a little glimpse. Now Daniel's fast of meat and alcohol and leavened bread coincided with the feast of unleavened bread, which was Israel remembering that they had come out of Egypt. And so he's already done two weeks of fasting before then, and now he's into this final week where he says he's, not eat, he's only drinking water and he's eating unsweetened bread bread or unleavened bread and he had done this this fast for 21 days and we're at day 24 he's only just now encountering god day 24 what are you prepared to do 24 hours times 24 that means that much to you we don't live in a generation where we do that much, do we? Daniel did that. He was seeking God with all his heart. So during this 21-day fast, he didn't hear from God and he didn't receive any revelation from God. And yet, he kept going. And we're told in Daniel 9 that something came into his heart and mind of a deep sorrow for the spiritual condition of his people, which is what led him to do this fast. Here's Daniel, people around him, seeking God. And it's, he's, not, he's not asleep. This is not a dream. This is not a night vision. This is not a, 
he sees someone as if they are as real as you and I, right there. He sees them. And this is interesting what happened is that we see that while he's experiencing this, those around him, they knew something was happening, but they could not see it. They couldn't see it. So it says in verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. This is the encounter Jesus, you'll experience dread deal. They knew something's going on, but they couldn't perceive it. And they fled to hide themselves. So sometimes, you know, as I reflect on this, God is doing something in our lives that others can't notice they can't perceive and they don't get and this is what's going on in daniel's life verse 8 so i was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me my radiant appearance was fearfully changed and i retained no strength huh how's that you begin to seek god because you want perhaps things to improve you want to be strengthened. You want to receive a word from God. And not only do you not get the word of God, not only do you not get inside, but suddenly you begin to feel very weak, very vulnerable, very helpless. Here, this is what's happening to Daniel. And it's not just Daniel. I think history tells us that many people have experienced this. This seems to be a pattern. So there may be times when you feel like that. You're really seeking God. You're praying. Things seem to get worse before they get better. You're seeking God. It's like, it's, God, I started to talk to you and you left the room. Where have you gone? Well, why am I going through this all alone? And it may not be that you're all alone. In fact, that sense of weakness and helplessness may be the exact opposite because God is now visiting you. And this is what Daniel went through. When God turned up, he felt weak. When God turned up, he felt helpless. Verse 10 and 11. And behold, what do you do when you behold? You look at it. A hand touched me. Jesus turns up. All strength leaves Daniel's body. And he collapses on. Yeah, he collapses because he's about to be put on, lifted up to his knees. But notice this. Behold, he sees something. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, I want you to notice three things about how God will strengthen people. And behold, a look. A hand touched, a touch. And he said, a look. A touch, a word. If there's someone in your world and you want to encourage them and strengthen them, remember those three things. Because God will often strengthen another person through your eyes, through your hands, and through your mouth. A look, a touch, a word. There are some here today and you need somebody to look at you. You might think, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Well, all I can say is you haven't lived, if that's the weirdest thing you've ever heard. But if that is strange to you, that I might say there are some here 
and you need someone to look at you, it's because we go through life and people see us, but they don't see us. People look in our direction and they look right through us. When Jesus looks at you, he beholds you. A look, a touch, a word. I want all of the leaders in this church to minister with a look, a touch, and a word. And he said to me, O Daniel, verse 11, man greatly loved. Wouldn't you love to hear that? Your name, greatly loved. As Jesus looks you in the eye, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. Hmm. You know, when God speaks his word like that, stand upright, it can sound like a command. And there could be a response that says, oh, oh, he's telling me what to do. Command, command, command. But here's what I've discovered about the word of God anointed by the spirit of God. God's commands are not condemning. God's commands preached under the anointing of the spirit of God become enabling. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water... He said this, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, my recollection is, one word that sounded like a command. What was that one word? Come. And what did he do? He did. And I know people say, oh, yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but he walked. That'd be a good day for me. You only took three steps on the water. No, 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 no. Well, how many did you take? When Jesus said, come, it wasn't just a command. It was enabling him to do it. And so when your heart is, God, I seek you. God, I'm open to you. God, I want your word preached today by pastor. I want it to enable me. I want it to strengthen my heart. Those things that you battle with, you can find strength for the battle. You can find enabling that will help you to get through those things. And so... Jesus says to Daniel, stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken thus this word to me, I stood up trembling. Hmm. And so the Bible promises us that when we seek God, when we seek God with all our heart, we will find him. This is the promise of God's word. If you want to find God, seek him with all your heart. And you will find him. Verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. Sounds like a command, but it's an enabling. It empowers us. It enables us to do what we could not do by ourselves. That's the power of the word of God. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and note this next word, it's pretty foreign in today's culture, humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. That is an Interesting insight into how prayer works. And I have come because of your words. And what we're going to read, if we had the time, we haven't got the time to go through detail by detail each verse. But what we're going to see is that in the old covenant, there was a spiritual realm and a spiritual dimension where there was much conflict between angels 
and demons. And some Christians read their Bibles today as if it is still the same. And it isn't. The cross has changed the spiritual dimension. Jesus has defeated the enemy. There is a dramatic change in the way we now approach spiritual warfare. And I I know that there are some Christians that read this and go, Aha! If I'd been there, I could have helped Daniel out. Because I went to the spiritual warfare binding demon seminar. He didn't. I have the edge. You dill. Dill's a Greek word for interesting person. (laughs) At no point is Daniel told, Why didn't you bind the prince of Persia? Why didn't you rebuke these demonic forces? Daniel's never told that. He's never told that. In this spiritual realm, there there was access. Satan had some kind of access into the heavenly realms. We read that in Job. But in the book of Revelation, it says he's been cast out. He's been cast out. And there there is a change now. Verse 13 This is what he's told. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is a demonic spirit, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was there with the kings of Persia. So for three days, this character is doing some kind of demonic battle. Assisted by an angel. Interesting. Now we're going to see that Daniel is now told something about the future. And it's prefaced with this expression. And I need you to understand this expression. Because there is so much confusion about it. It literally causes people to worry and lose sleep. And I don't think that's right. Let me give you some insight into this. Daniel is told in chapter 9 that the old covenant of temple, priesthood and sacrifices is about to come to an end. That's the old covenant. Add into that the law and that's all of the old covenant. And it's about to come to an end. Daniel 9.27. Sacrifice will be done away with. That's a pretty big deal for a Jew to hear that, by the way. And so the old covenant is about to end and it's coming into the future. And now it's referred to as the latter times. The New Testament calls it the last days. And the problem is when we read in the New Testament the last days, we think end of the world. But that's not what a Jew understood. It's certainly not what Daniel thought. It was the last days leading up to the end of the old covenant. Now, The old covenant was made obsolete at the cross of Christ, but it was still in place. Temple, priesthood, sacrifices were done away with in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed the temple and killed every priest. So Hebrews 8.13, Hebrews was written around 63 AD. One year's time, persecution would break out against the church. Seven years' time, Jerusalem is destroyed. These people who are receiving Hebrews, they don't know that. We do. They don't. 
And this is what the writer to the Hebrews says in the last verse of Hebrews 8. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. That's the old covenant, made obsolete by the cross. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant is about to be done away with. Now, I know that there are some Christians who think, well, the old covenant was done away with at the cross. No, it was made obsolete at the cross and it was done away with when its elements, temple, priesthood, sacrifices, were literally done away with. And the time up until that event of the end of the Old Covenant is referred to as the last days. The last days of the Old Covenant. Verse 14. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So it's into the future. So. We see, and I'm just going to give you a quick overview of chapter 11. Daniel sees the next unfolding of the next 500 years and all of the world empires and emperors who would reign and all of the wars and battles that would take place around Israel, Egypt, Italy, Greece, all of those wars and battles taking place over the next 500 years. And it is uncanny. If you want to research it, you will discover that there was Darius I, mentioned in Daniel chapter 6. Darius II, mentioned in the book of Ezra. There was Darius III. Then there was Alexander the Great, who conquered Persia. Then there was the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And then from the Seleucids came a fellow by the name of Antiochus. And all of these people are predicted in chapter 11. Then comes the Roman Empire with the most vile of the Roman emperors, Caesar Nero. And he's mentioned in chapter 11 as well. So the next 500 years are prophesied very precisely by Daniel. And this is what Daniel has shown. And I don't know that he would have welcomed this. But he's shown that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He was shown that it was going to become a desolate battlefield. And the question is, because Daniel's there concerned for his people, and the question is, but what about my people? And this is something he has shown toward the end of chapter 11. And the wise among the people will make many understand. That sounds lovely. Doesn't that sound lovely? The wise among the people make many understand. But now get the context. The context is there is warfare. There is bloodshed. There is devastation. And it's not pretty. It is really not pretty. And many Jews will die. This is what he's shown. But to get that context, in the midst of all of that happening, the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days... They shall stumble by sword and flame. This is not a pretty time. By captivity and plunder. So what's Daniel shown? Daniel, you've sought me. I want to show you me. That's the first thing he sees, Jesus. What does Israel's future look like? You're looking at him. It looks like me. I'm going to come. And he's referred to in Daniel chapter 9 as the one who would be cut off in the middle of his week. Three and a half years. And that's exactly what Jesus ministered. He would die 
And after that, the city would be left desolate. But there would be some who get it. There would be some who understand. And if you know anything about the history of the church, that is exactly what happened. There were Christians there who said, God's not against us. God's for us. We've got to go through this. This is the end of something and the beginning of something new. And they trusted God. And we read in Revelation chapter 6, the martyrs cried out under the altar, how long? And these are the people Daniel's talking about. And Jesus, with words of comfort, says, not long now. Not long now. And the book of Revelation goes on and says this, blessed are all who die from this point on. And here's what you need to know. If you are faithful to God and you die, you are blessed. And you will go to be with Christ for eternity. And in the meantime, what are we to do? We are to seek God and help others understand. Can we commit our lives to that? Can we? That was quite the vision and Daniel was left shaken as it contained much detail of what was to come. More from Dr Corbett next week with the final in the Daniel series, Daniel's Rest. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Daniel's Reverie, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.